Hello and welcome everybody. This is Wildstorm Addiction, episode 41.5, interview with Dave Beatty. I'm Ben Murphy. And I'm Joe David Solis. You know, we're pretty pumped up about this. Dave, uh, great guy and inker on the current Grifter title, even though it'll be ending after next month. But uh, we got some interesting insight into, uh, you know, kind of what happened with this title over the past year, especially as uh, Rob decided to leave. So I hope you guys enjoy it. We do want to point out, though, that, you know, we were having some technical difficulties on Dave's end. This is the first time that we ever tried to do uh, three different time zones in a podcast. Thank you very much, Skype and my terrible internet speeds. (laughs) So... Do bear with that, but otherwise, it's some great information. So we hope you enjoy it. All right, Dave. Well, uh, well we want to thank you, you know, for agreeing to do this. You know, uh, we kind of wish it was under better circumstances because, like, I think you're the one who dubbed this. You said, you know, you'd be willing to do a post-mortem interview <laughs> because right. we are losing the Grifter title. But you know, we we do still appreciate you coming on because you know you're you are the first you know inker that we brought onto the podcast. So you're you know, we're hoping to get a very different perspective from you of of a lot of things that, that you know, when we really started discussing what we wanted to talk to you about uh, that we never really thought about, you know. So um, so we're just, you know, kind of hoping we can get some, some interesting insight from you today. Not, not okay. just, you know, just about Grifter, but just in general about the comic industry. Okay. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll be as candid as I can without getting myself well-listed. <laughs> Yeah, we don't want to get you fired. <laughs> we don't want you and, and Grifter to be out of work, you know. So, <laughs> so yeah, so let's just start, you know, because um, we were, we, you know, we always, you know, try to research our guests. And we, we one thing that we found when we were researching about about you is that uh, a lot of sites seem to confuse you with Scott Beatty. So, <laughs> so just to kind of clear the clear the the record of we we want to get a sense of how you got your start in the industry. Um, well, um, many, many moons ago in the late 90s, um, I was trying to break in. I went to San Diego Comic-Con, uh, I think, what, what, when was it, uh, 1993, something like that. Didn't have a lot of success, um, and I came back home. I, used, I lived in Memphis, Tennessee at the time, and we had a, a couple of comic book professionals um, who were doing work for some of the major studios. and. One of those was an artist by the name of Jim Hall. And uh, I knew Jim and had heard through the grapevine that he was looking for someone to help out with backgrounds. And so I gave him a call, and he's like, yeah, sure, come on over. And that's pretty much kind of how I got started. I started out doing backgrounds with Jim on Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, and then eventually, I'd say a few, a few years later, um, I'd gotten a pretty decent reputation for, for helping out with stuff with different people in and around the area. And Scott Clark had moved to Memphis, Tennessee. He lived there uh, briefly. And uh, he, according to the, through the grapevine again, because I was a member of a group called the Mid-South Cartoonist Association. And um, Scott had kind of put out the word he was for a background assistant. And he came to the Cartoonist Association meeting and uh, I'd say probably 20 or 30 guys showed up with samples in hand, um, all trying to get the gig, um, basically being his assistant and, and background artist. And uh, I was one of two that were in the running, and we kind of did tryout pages. 
And that really, to me, I think is probably when I really officially feel like I entered, entered the industry. And that was about 97. And um, I was doing backgrounds on Scott's work uh, going back to Alpha Flight at Marvel. Oh, okay. Yeah, that, that was pretty much the, the time period that uh, I know I was into comics and stuff. And Marvel, I always tell people Marvel's like my ex-girlfriend. You know, I, I don't really, you know, <laughs> I'm not going out with her anymore. But <laughs> yeah. I check on her once in a while. <laughs> and that's mainly because of, you know, Jim Lee bringing Wildstorm to, to DC. So, Thank you for uh, giving us uh, a little bit of your background on how you got started. Um, what I kind of wanted to understand is... Being an inker, how hard is it for you to transition between pencilers, even on the same title? Because, I mean, we noticed with Grifter, you know, you had to lay down inks on Cafu, Clark, and Liefeld as well. So how hard is it to make that transition? And and how much notice do you get? Or do you just get pages sent to you and you just have to kind of go with it? Well, just to clarify, I didn't ink any of Cafu's stuff. Oh, okay. Um, and, and I didn't ink any of Liefeld's covers either. Um, I think either Liefeld inked them, I guess he inked those himself. Um, I had an objection to inking any of them, but the, the opportunity was never presented to me. Um, but I did work on, uh, on Scott Clark's stuff, uh, Daniel Semper, I'm hoping I'm saying that right. Um, and then of course I worked with Marat Michael, yeah. um, and uh, transition between the different pencils I've worked with on Grifter. Um, hmm. There was a when I went from working on Scott stuff to doing the the fill-in issue, but Daniel, um, it, it I kind of just went right into it. I, it. I didn't really have any issues. Um, I did kind of question what I was doing with stuff. Um, not not knowing what the, the best approach would be, and I did modify my approach as, as we kind of worked through the, the issues that we worked on. I think the last issue of Grifter, which is kind of where I just kind of did my own thing. I mean, I kept what was there, but I kind of added a lot because the editors kind of asked me to. Um, that's probably the strongest issue I think I worked on with Marat. Um, there was a bit of a sort of a question in the back of my mind when when I started working on Marat stuff. Um, and then Scott is always changing his style, and, and so you end up approaching every issue with Scott as if it's the first issue you've worked together. Scott is, um, he, he pushes a lot to see certain things and wants a particular look, and, and then you think you've got that down, and then, and then he changes his mind, and um, it's just constantly, constantly changing. I think the last issue we did, Zero, he was heavily influenced by... Sergio Tape or Tapi or however you say it, it's T O P P E. Um, he was really heavily influenced um, by his stuff, and of course that guy was looks like his. You know, Bill Sinkevich got his inspiration from the same artist. So I probably didn't answer your question. I just rambled there for a bit. Um. <laughs> That's okay. It actually it, it makes me think of a lot of things because you know Joe and I have brought this up previously, but you know there's. The way that you guys tend to work uh, today seems to be a lot different than how it was 10 or 20 years ago, obviously, with Skype and, and being able to just email everybody. So I guess to get a little bit more specific, 
are you actually inking digitally or are you doing some practical or a mixture of both? I, you know, even you were just talking about, you know, Scott changing his mind or changing or, you know, saying each issue that you do with Scott is a first issue to you. If he changes how he wants something done, is that, is it, are you having to start over on the same page or is it just because you're digital that you you have the opportunity to start over or how's, how's that kind of work? When I started doing stuff with Scott at DC, Scott had decided he was going to be 100% digital. And so when I started working with him, what was the first book we did at DC? Um, Cry for Justice. Um, Cry for Justice basically was my foray into 100% digital inking. And um, due to the ever-tightening deadlines um, and, the, and the constant shifting of styles and approaches, um, I pretty much just started working digitally as of Cry for Justice, and I've worked 100% digitally since then. There's been a couple of Scott's covers I've done, um, and I wanted to do more stuff traditionally. Um, especially that zero issue, but um, because um, just because of the deadline issues with the zero issue in particular, that was quite a nightmare. Um, it, it just, it, you know, there's just no way to get around it, but just work digital and, and suck it up. So there was a lot of learning on my part over the last couple of years uh, working digitally. Um, some of the early issues of Grifter working with Scott, he wanted to use total CGI backgrounds, and if you look at them, I think you can tell. The uh, And then as we continued to move forward, his thinking on that changed, and he wanted them all done by hand. Um, and, you know, you can you can even see that, too. If you, um, if you look at 4, 5, and 6, those backgrounds um, are digital um, CGI environments, and Scott and I split that. Uh, general rule of thumb is, um, I did the practical stuff, real-world cars, buildings, that kind of stuff. And then anything that was futuristic, they might technology spaceships, fantastical type stuff. Scott tended to do that. And then by the time when Rob Liefeld came on, or Liefeld came on uh, with Nine, um, Scott's thinking had complete. And he thought it wasn't helping and decided to go back to doing backgrounds traditionally, but still in the digital environment. Um, so that's when I started basically inking the backgrounds the way I had done for years and years before, but again, doing it in the computer. So um, so I do work 100% digitally now. Um, I do still love to do stuff traditionally on, on boards. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, hopefully... Uh, moving into the future, I've got some personal projects and some other things I want to do. And it, right now, when it comes to stuff for DC, Marvel, or whoever, it's just going to depend upon the deadlines. If, if the deadlines are super tight and I've just got to flip it around and I can't think about it, um, you know, I'll probably just do it because you don't have to worry about, you know, brushes or nibs acting up or um, sounds stupid, but humidity, <laughs> ink quality. You know, all those things kind of go out the window, and, and at least your tools are all behaving correctly. So then you're just fighting your tech. You're not also fighting your tools. That makes any sense. No, no, it does. Actually, you know, that's a good good thing. I actually want to bounce a couple things off you because I, I heard you say something about the last issue with uh, Marit. Merit? I think it's Marit. 
you said that editorial told you that you could do whatever you needed to to add detail to the background. So I wanted to ask you about that because we, I think when Joe and I last reviewed that issue, we were kind of joking that there wasn't really much in the background. So I, I know that you had a handful uh, to deal with there. I think it was because a lot of the change that happened. By saying a, I'm, but the last issue, I'm saying issue 16. Oh, okay. Issue okay. 15 or 14. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure which one. That, did you guys review 15 last? No, it comes out this week. Yeah, we just did okay. 14. Okay. My I already have 15 in hand, so I'm, I'm a little... I, I get things kind of messed up in my head. Um, sure. I'm, I'm speaking specifically about issue 16. When you see 16, see there's a huge radical shift on the backgrounds are being handled. So. Okay. Can you give us a little bit more detail on on how you actually work now that you are fully digital are you uh using like a wacom tablet or are you just what kind of tools are you kind of using to to kind of make everything digital i guess is where i'm going with that well um i use a uh, a wacom tablet um i don't use a cintiq i know some people have cintiqs um i can't afford a cintiq <laughs> so i'm using a wacom tablet it's one of the later ones. Um, it's not a, a newer one, but by later one, we're talking about two or three years ago. Um, but it's kind of like the nice big size one. It's not the, the biggest one, but it's kind of a medium range. Um, it's got kind of the little iPod dial kind of thing, like off to the, to the side. Um, and as far as the tools go, um, I have, over the course of doing stuff with Scott and, and working with some other artists I've worked with, um, developed a series of brushes in Photoshop, kind of manip- manipulating um, the tools and the settings um, to kind of create different looks. I have a, a different set of brushes that I use when I was inking Scott stuff from Marat stuff, and I'm constantly using brushes. Um, a lot of the ink splatter stuff I do, those were actually ink splatters that I actually did on a board traditionally then scan them in the computer and then basically created brushes and variation of, of brushes out of those. Um, some of it is I took traditional tools, I would actually put them to paper and, and kind of saw how the tools behaved and then scanned them into the computer and then adjusted the tools until they seemed to replicate um, what I was sawing on the board with what I was seeing on the computer. Um, so it's a lot of custom work with settings and, and brushes um, they're all kind of variations of airbrushes, of all things. Um, they're all variations of the basic airbrush. Um, I don't actually use the pen tool because the pen tool just has that sawtooth look, and it just never looks right. Um, they're all variations of the airbrush tool in Photoshop. Cool. I appreciate that. Yeah, no problem. So, Dave, you know, one thing, you know, unfortunately, like we were talking about earlier with the with the title ending and everything, uh, you know, we realized that. You know, you can't really listen to everything that we read on the internet. So, so you know, we we're kind of curious. What what is your take on on you know what happened here with with Rob Liefeld and everything on on the Grifter title? I mean, what you can share. Obviously, we realize you know there's some things that, that's privileged, but uh, is there anything that you can share concerning all that? Um, I guess the best way to sum it up was that Rob just decided for whatever reasons he had. I mean, I, I'm not like a friend with, with Rob. Um, I don't really know Rob personally. I mean, we've, you know, sent a few emails back and forth. Um, 
but um, it's not like I've taught him at a convention anytime recently, um, or I worked in his studio or anything. So I don't really know Rob all that well. Um, but the basic gist was that the way it was relayed to me was that Rob had decided he was done and he quit the book. You know, that that's how it was relayed to me. Um, and then it was kind of surprised because then it was like shifting the chairs on the Titanic, I guess. Um, because Scott suddenly was going to go over to Deathstroke and I had been to work with someone other than Scott just because Scott and I were kind of having some issues. Um, Scott and I have been friends for a really long time. Um, and I, I'm not meaning to say anything mean, but it's just we just got into an impasse where I was completely burnt out. I mean, I've I've been, you know, it's funny because you're right. You can't read all the things that are said on the internet because I'll drive you insane. Because I, I really have put everything that I possibly could to do the best job I could with the time that I had. Um, from the first opportunity, the book was presented to us. I I was the one who kind of told Scott. I said, "Hey, this is some. It could be a neat." DC Universe take on the movie They Live, if you guys have ever seen that with uh, Roddy Roddy Piper and Keith David. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I know what you're talking I about. I love that. I love that idea. I mean, I, really, I said, this is really, it could be really cool. So, um, yeah, so pretty much uh, you know, from that moment, I was you know fully on board with the book and, and worked seven days a week for the last year. Uh, putting in 14, 16-hour days, trying to do everything I could to make the book look as, as good as I possibly could. Um, there was definitely some struggling with morale stuff because I was not sure how to handle it. Um, that was definitely an issue. Um, but uh, it's kind of weird when you're talking about a book after it's been canceled. Uh, so I'm still coming to grips with that. So. Yeah, well, tell us about it. I mean, we we've had to go through that several times, unfortunately, with with Wildstorm, you know, where we have to continue to talk about a book, and it, we already know it's already coming to an end. I mean, the whole universe came to an end. So, I mean, do you think that uh, that the Wildstorm introductions into the DCU have started to become you know more downplayed because of what happened, you know, here with this title? Because you know we lost Voodoo, we're losing Grifter. You know, uh, Stormwatch seems to be being pushed in a different direction, and obviously, you know, we've gotten new titles with Team Seven and and things like that. But it, it even it even appeared that uh, the, that they quickly dismissed the Daemonite presence they were building into the DCU. You know, with uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the Superman Annual that came out in August, right. but they basically took out the entire race from the DCU. <laughs> so, so it's kind of like uh, yeah. What, what is your take on that? It was relayed to me via Scott. Um, I never saw the scripts that had this, but um, I know at one point Superman was supposed to show up in Grifter. And there was going to be a connection um, between Superman and, and Grifter and, and the Daemonite um, threat. And that there were some plans for it. Um, my editors never directly talked to me about it, so I can't be any more specific than that. Um, but there was, at least as far as it was conveyed to me through Scott, that there was a larger plan to do something more than than what happened with it. Beyond that, I, I you know, 
I'm not in the editorial office, so it's it's kind of hard to to know what's actually going on there. I mean, there's constant shakeups and shifts and and changes of direction that seem to be going on. I mean, I think Griff, unfortunately, was a a, a victim of um, editorial shifts. I mean, I don't think editorial you know interfered with the book to doom it necessarily. Um, the constant shifting of, of direction, editorial styles, and everything. It just, you know, it really hampered the book. Um, I think I've had four or five editors on the book since I've been on it. Wow. I mean, in between issue 15 and 16, there were two different editors. Um, so, you know, it's, it's hard for a book to find its footing without, you know, a very clear direction. And the editor really is the captain. I mean, they really do steer the ship so you know I, I i know that scott and i and i know marat and i specifically tried to do what we could with the art to hopefully buoy the book long enough that the the new direction could take and hopefully the fans would enjoy the book um but um yeah there was just a lot of i think that's the best way to describe it there was just a lot of chairs and the yeah and no that, and that's and that's and so, we understand that you know and and this is what we were just you know what we mentioned earlier that like you know for for you somebody who works on the book it's 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 uh it's interesting that uh that there's so much that they're that they didn't share with you or not sharing with you you know and we never think about that because we see the you know all the different people who work on the books and um but yeah, no, we we definitely appreciate you trying to you you know keep it uh, afloat as long as you could. It looks like it's going to get an ending according to the way the solicit reads and the cover looks. You yes, know? it does. So, it does get an, an ending. That's for sure. So I mean, that's good. I mean, it, it, you can't ask for any more from a cancel title, you know, because we certainly don't want it to to end in the middle of something. So <laughs> right, so right. At least and, for that, we're appreciative. And that was a pleasant surprise because that last I'd heard the book was going out on 15 so when I listed for 16 I was surprised as anyone else because my understanding was that the book was done and um, so I emailed uh, Mike Martz who's the head of the Batman office who's technically right now in charge of Grifter and emailed Mike and I was like 16 he's like oh yeah we're getting one last issue to try and wrap everything up and I thought that was kind of cool that they were going to let the book really have an ending, you know, instead of just stopping it wherever it was. Um, so that's kind of cool. And, and there is an effort to kind of bring it full circle, I guess. Um, you guys be the judge of how, how well everything ends. So no, that's, that's great. I'm, I'm glad we're getting that extra issue. It's one thing that we've noticed, you know, throughout the two years that we've been doing this podcast is how, how much more accessible it is to be able to reach out to artists. And obviously from talking to you, we've, we've gained a little bit more insight than we have out of any of the other creators, you know, more in how you guys work and interact. And I find it interesting because it's, it seems that, you know, the DC offices in New York, you know, people are working in Brazil and Spain and, and, and England. We've, we've seen people that we've talked to working all over the place and, and how you guys are able to interact you know, just through the internet, but I want to get your take on, on how you feel social media is kind of, you know, dealing with the fan interaction between the creators as well. I mean, we would never be able to reach out to somebody like you at, you know, five years ago. So, I mean, do you like that? Are you, 
are you do you feel like it's too much interaction that we're just able to reach out and be like hey what do you think about this <laughs> um, <laughs> um well i mean in in some instances well I'll, let me put it this way in in most instances it's a good thing um all, all across the board um i think it's really great to be able to talk to people that that read the book um the ones who aren't enjoying the book and the ones who are enjoying the book um, obviously have negative, you know, interaction with a reader of the book is, is never pleasant when, you know, you're, you know, putting everything you have into something, you know, and, and you've done it. Um, but, um, you know, I, I think overall it's, it's, it's been positive. I, you know, I think the hardest thing for me sometimes is knowing what to say and what not to say, you know, just to make sure that I, I don't say something that's going to get me in trouble with anyone, you know, at DC. So I'm a little guarded, I think, more so than some of the other artists are. Um, but that's also because I'm still pretty new to DC, so I'm still, you know, trying to get myself really firmly established over there. But I think it's, it's overall it's positive. I mean, the, the people who contact me, who want to work in the industry, who have how-to questions or... Uh, questions about style or artists or, or approach or tools or techniques. I mean, I enjoy answering those kind of questions to the best of my ability. I enjoy answering those questions at conventions. I don't do that many conventions, but the ones I do, I really enjoy um, talking about comics just in general because I love comics. Um, overall, I'd say it's, it's totally positive, and, and I like what people have to say, positive and negative. I mean, the negative is harder to take. Um, I think sometimes with some of the review sites, there's a lot of heavy criticism swung about sometimes either to the, sometimes, you know, directed at the writer where the artist had to make a choice to try and, you know, clear up the storytelling in their mind. It wasn't a good choice. And there's some, you know, unfortunate criticism, you know, thrown at the artist when sometimes that was something that was in the story or something that editorial specifically wanted to see and you had a hard time fitting it in, you know, or work. Uh, that's just the nature of, of the business. We're going to make everyone happy. Um, but you try to do the best job you can to tell hopefully the best story, the most compelling story, the most usually interesting story that you can. Um, but overall, I'd say it's positive, all the social interaction. And I don't mind talking with people. And I think it's kind of cool because... When I was a kid growing up, I always wondered, you know, um, what some of the people whose, whose work I admired, like uh, Joe Staten and, and Norm Brayfogle and um, all these different artists that, that I came up reading, you know, wondering, you know, what is Dave Gibbons thinking, you know, or you, it's kind of cool to be able to send that person a comment over Facebook or send them an email and, and get on. I think that's kind of cool, you know. Um, so overall, I'd have to say it's positive. Yeah, well, that's great. We feel the same way, obviously, you know, when we were reading when we were young, you know, the best you could do is write in and hope that the editor picked your your little blurb to put in the back of the book. And most of the time it was like, we really love this character. Keep writing. On. <laughs> like, right. So, yeah, yeah that, that's one of my claim to fame. I have one of those that actually got printed. So <laughs> unfortunately, it wasn't a Wildstorm book, so I won't go into it. <laughs> well, no, it, that's cool. I mean, it's it's. That's kind of neat, you know. I mean, I um, a lot of the people whose work I admired, I'm, I'm friends with on Facebook, and or I've met at conventions over the years or whatever. And it's kind of neat to have that that dialogue, you know, and, and to 
those burning questions that you had. Um, and, uh, and when people come up and they ask questions, it's just because they're passionate about something that you've worked on. And it's, I, you know, even when there's a criticism there, it's because they wish it was better. You know, they love the character, they like the story, and they just wish it was better. So I try to approach all of it kind of the same way, you know, knowing that, you know, I'm a fan and, and I would want to ask these questions. So I always try to make myself available. So we thank you so much for coming on. So, you know, to kind of wrap it up, we like to, you know, after usually a heavy conversation, we like to go out with something light. Um, so I was just checking out your honors and achievements on a DaveBeatty.com. <laughs> and uh, okay. for, for those of you listening, go to his site because it's hilarious. And what we really want to know, are you in fact a ninja? I, am I in fact a ninja? No, yes. I'm a samurai. I'm not a ninja. Okay. Um, my, my, most of my uh, martial arts training and focused was more along the samurai disciplines. Um, I always create the difference between a samurai and, and a ninja would be if a samurai had a problem with you and he wanted to fight, he'd fight you face-to-face. And if a ninja had a problem with you, he'd just walk up behind you and stab you in the back when you weren't looking. Um, so I always like to think of myself more samurai. What made you get into that? And how long have you been doing that? Uh, I haven't actively trained um, with a school in quite a few years. Um, I got started. I mean, I mean, I'm kind of overweight now, which is not good. Um, but uh, I was an overweight kid and had problems with bullies and stuff at school, and um, started training just in karate and stuff like that, off and on. I mean, never took it too seriously. And then um, in the '90s, um, I uh, saw a film called No Treat, No Surrender that had Jean-Claude Van Damme in it, and I was completely mesmerized with his physicality and what he could do and I thought I want to do that so I started off studying boxing and then I temporarily uh, actually blinded a friend in a ring accident. Um I used an illegal technique thinking it was cute and uh, it wasn't very funny what happened and so I felt really bad about that and I, I had a friend of mine who was you know very interested in Aikido and he's like, oh, this is so awesome. And he'd go on and on about it. It was the stuff that Steven Seagal would do. And I, I hadn't seen the Steven Seagal movie. I didn't at that time know who Steven Seagal even was. And so he's like, oh, come on, come on. Let's go to this dojo and check this out. And so I went to South Haven Taekwondo and Aikido. It's actually, uh, I must say, 30 or 40 minutes from Elvis Presley's house enough. Oh, wow. Uh, Graceland, of all places. But you're on the same road that Graceland's on. You just you drive over into Mississippi. And um, so I drove down there and uh, met uh, Sensei's Rick and Jason Allen, and uh, they introduced me to the world of Aikido, and and I was mesmerized by it and how it was all about um, not having to be aggressive and and it being a nonviolent sort of a a reformation of the the martial arts. And I just completely fell in love with it and trained in it pretty much ever since then, and branched out and studied other divisions. Uh, the parent style, like jiu-jitsu, I studied that for a while and, and had this crazy dream of opening a school. Um, I've had two schools in the past, um, and uh, neither one was very successful, but it was still a fun experience nonetheless. And got to share the martial arts with a lot of different people. And um, because in Aikido, you have to learn so much about breakfalls, um, I got the opportunity to go and actually go to other schools, kung fu schools or whatever, and actually help um, those 
uh, teachers and, and their students develop a better understanding of, of Brave Falls, mostly in the Mid-South area. And um, got to meet a lot of different people on the exchange, learned a little bit of Kung Fu and other martial arts along, along the way while I was there. And and um, I've just always loved it and, and really enjoyed it. Um, Aikido is a, a wonderful martial art and, and a fantastic discipline for anyone who's interested in martial arts. So That's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that. Oh, it's no problem. I was kind of joking at first, but I was like, no, I think he's serious about these achievements. So I'm like, I got to ask because honestly, over the last year and a half, I've been studying jujitsu. I'm like, oh, I this this has got to be too good to be true. <laughs> so thank you so much. Any Anything that, you know, other than your hectic schedule right now, do you think you'll ever get back into any form of martial arts? Um, I'd like to. Um, I haven't really found a a school here in, um, well, I take that back. There's one school in Prescott I found that I kind of like, um, but I haven't really been able to dedicate the time. But I I was actually back to the gym, um, mostly doing weight training. I've got a heavy bag and whatever here, and I still swing the boat around and, and go through uh, Kinjutsu Kata's and, and, you know, try to stay up on it as much as I can. A lot of times when I'm walking around the house, I'll do uh, movement exercises or evasion techniques. Um, it sounds kind of stupid. I'm doing it in the house, but when I come around a corner, I'm, I'm thinking in terms of movement and as you always want to, you know, Aikido is really great uh, because it's, you have eight directions of, of movement and, and there's these specific ways that you move. And so I'm always constantly practicing this, though, practicing those, thinking about them. So I, I very much want to get back into seriously training at some point. Um, but as of right now, I haven't had an opportunity. Um, but ironically, and with Grifter being canceled, I have been thinking about now would be a good time. <laughs> so. Yeah, and but all we ask is that when you go into the class, you have to wear the, a Grifter mask just in, in memory of the character. <laughs> you know, I, I, it's, it's sad that the book was canceled because I had actually been thinking about having one made to wear at the next Phoenix Con. Oh, um, yeah, I actually just, had one made for Nathan Edmondson when he was still writing the book. <laughs> oh, that's cool. That's Gave cool. it to him at a con. Um, and then... And there is one one little thing that you guys might find interesting. I'm always like putting extra stuff in the books when I work on them, when I can get away with it, and no one's paying attention. Um, if if you uh, if you look at uh, issue nine of Grifter, when uh, Nico jumps out, which I think at one point was supposed to be Cheshire, but anyhow, when Nico jumps out um, and she's attacking the the red tank Damoni type character, if you look at her uh, the bottom of her boot. The, the original Wildcats logo is on the bottom of her boot. Oh, cool. <laughs> so, I don't think we noticed that. No. Get a That's chance, go back and check it out. I I love to put little things in when, when no one really notices. And um, at one point, um, unsolicited, I might add, Scott and I had actually made a pitch to do a Wildcats book at DC. I, I kind of felt like where I thought Grifter was going and we were talking on the phone and came up with this idea and Scott approached the editors and they're like, yeah, sure. So we put together a pitch for Wildcats that never went anywhere. But in the, in the pitch, I thought it would be interesting if Wildcats was sort of like a, a military and survival type of, you know, brand or company that that's where the name actually came from. And so I drew that on the bottom of her boot trying to lay a foundation. <laughs> Oh, uh, yeah, we were, yeah, we were hoping that the next wave would have wildcats, but 
According to Jim Lee, that saved for him. So hopefully that's true, and they'll come back and do it at some point. So. Yeah, yeah, I, and I think that if anyone's going to really establish the Wildcat characters, well, not just the Wildcat, but the Wildstone character, I think in a very solid way, um, I think it's going to it's going to need to be Jim. I mean, I, I really believe that. Um, but an awful lot of people cared about about the book. I mean, you know, different editors we worked with, writers that we worked with. Worked with myself, Andrew Dahlhaus, and pretty much everyone I talked with that worked in the book. We we all really, you know, gave it as much as we could, and and with the time we had, and, and tried very hard to do something great with the book. Um, it's unfortunate, and um, it's sort of switched directions three or four times. But um, I know everyone really, really tried really hard to to get Grifter, you know, Grifter in the place in the DC universe. So. Yeah, no, well, like we said, we appreciate it. I mean, hey, we still have him in Team 7, so so at least he still exists in a, in a, an active book. But uh, but before we go, is there anything else, uh, anything, any, any upcoming projects you want to promote or anything like that? No, I mean, I've got some creator-owned stuff that uh, I'm working on with a couple different people that nothing to really talk about right now. Um, I'm just, like I said, I'm just kind of still kind of coming to grips with, you know, the, the book ending and... Um, because I, I did really try hard to, to do as much as I could with it. And, and so it is very much sort of like a post-mortem kind of thing. Cause I, I really believed in the book from, from the day that we came on board. And I've always liked Grifter. Um, but um, as far as other projects, I don't have anything I can really talk about right now. But. Okay, Dave. Well. Well, then, we just want to thank you once again for coming on, and we really appreciate all the information you shared with us. And, yeah, I mean, we'll definitely be looking to see where where you end up next. So, so cool, once again, cool. thanks. And it was fun, you know, talking with you guys, and, and hope that at some point we'll meet at a convention somewhere along the way or something. It'd be kind of cool. Sure. And, uh, yeah, I'll try I try to hit some as much as I can. Did. I appreciate what you guys did. I mean, you know, championing the book and, and doing the reviews and, and making sure people are aware that the book is out there and, Without and support the book and support the creators and what we do, I mean, we wouldn't have an industry. We wouldn't have. Well, I wouldn't be able to pay my mortgage for one. Um, so you know, I I really greatly appreciate everything you guys did. Um, and to, uh, yeah, like I said, I think probably my strongest work to date's on 16. So definitely check out the English. It's pretty. Oh yeah, no, we look forward to that uh, here in January. So, <laughs> all right, anything else, Ben? Nope, that's it. Thank you so much, Dave. We really appreciate it. No problem. Thanks. It's great talking to you guys. All right. Well, we just want to, you know, once again, thanks, Dave, for coming on and and doing that with us. It was really cool for him to offer that. So, as you guys heard, I mean, he really, he really was giving us all for this title and. You know, kind of, kind of, he kind of made me wish that uh, he was the editor. You know, that he was the that uh, he was the one that in charge of this book because you could just hear that he really did like the character and really wanted to be successful. So it's like, man, why couldn't we have somebody like him in charge? You know? Yeah. You hear that? You hear that? DC, <laughs> put Dave in charge, please. <laughs> hey, I mean, he's right. You know, the editor is the boss, basically, and if you don't have a good manager on something, you know things can fall apart quickly and i think he mentioned at one point there were five editors even on one one title maybe one issue i did you catch that part 
Yeah, yeah, no, that's crazy. So, I mean, but yeah, I mean, really, really nice guy. I was really glad to talk with him. So, um, so yeah, we'll uh, we'll do, we'll see. And I actually am encouraged about the last issue now because he said he seemed to really uh, be happy with it. It seemed like so. Yeah, and and again, sorry, I I do want to apologize for the audio quality. This is the first time that we tried something in three different time zones. I think so. He's in Arizona and Joe's in Texas and I'm in PA. So uh, sometimes it's not the greatest, but you guys will be able to hear a lot of cool stuff that he says. So hopefully you enjoy that. Yeah. So just before we go, just a couple of quick shout outs that we normally do. You know, we want to promote Chris Stryker's uh, Stormwatch site, uh, which is stormwatch.ws. And remember to visit the Higher Authorities message board, which is Clark's Bar, to continue to, to discuss the Wildstorm integration in the new 52 and that's at the authority.ws um also be sure to check out our friends of the show i should start calling them our family of the show <laughs> which is the, the image addiction podcast as they cover new releases from image comics and one other podcast that you know uh ask for our other family members to uh, forgive us for not mentioning but you know they also have the savage fin cast over there at um imageaddiction.net um, they cover Savage Dragon. They have in pretty well with uh, Eric Larson. They've got a lot, a lot of uh, good reviews with him and interviews too. So check that out. Also check out our friends of the show at the Only the Valiant podcast, who was actually was just listening to them before we recorded tonight. <laughs> As they cover the newly relaunched Valiant comics, which the current titles are Exo Man of War, Harbinger, Bloodshot, Archer and Armstrong, and Shadow Man, which I got to read the first issue and it's really cool. So check it out. And also wanted to mention that now we ha- now Valiant has twice the coverage as our old friends over at theculturalwormhole.com have started a new podcast covering Valiant Comics, which they call Valiant Future. And these guys are um, you know comic addiction veterans uh, like uh, Paul Stephen Brown, and uh, you know so, so head over there and check them out. And uh, you can contact us. Uh, I'm on twitter.com backslash grifter78. Uh, you can also Look up Ben and I at the um, the Wildstorm Resource Wiki, and uh, Ben is Yo Yo Master One Four Six, and that's at wildstormresource.webpaint.com. You can also find us our podcast at twitter.com backslash wildstormaddict, or you can email us at wildstormaddiction at gmail.com, or check out our Facebook fan page or our Google Plus page. We're also on Stitcher, so listen to us on your iPhone, Android phone, Kindle Fire, and other devices with Stitcher. Or find it in the App Store and Stitcher.com or any other place that you can listen to us that we haven't figured out yet. So <laughs> Take a breath. <laughs> two, two cool things I wanted to point out. We started a Wildstorm group on Google+. Plus, So if you haven't checked that out yet, go see that. And I also posted up a, a video review of the Wildcats Hero Clicks figures. So that's on YouTube. It's on our site as well if you haven't checked that out. In 1080p. <laughs> yeah, no, that was awesome. Uh, you guys, if you haven't checked it out yet, Ben just rocked it out like he always does. So, so he's uh, now we just need more things to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> I know, seriously, I was actually considering eBaying some old figures just to review. I'm like, uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we'll see. Maybe Stormwatch is surviving. Maybe we'll maybe we'll get some Stormwatch stuff. <laughs> so maybe. Anyway, thanks again, guys, and y'all have a good night.